Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Storm the Norm, the fortnightly podcast where we pick up norms that come in the way of businesses succeeding in a disruptive world. I am Narayan. I am Anisha Motwani. Anisha, so what norm are we subjecting to scrutiny this time around? Uh, in the fourth episode, we take up a very fundamental question. What is the most fertile source of innovation? And the norm that we will storm is that innovation comes from looking beyond the obvious and exploring the outliers, edges and extremities. You know, I, I have to confess that uh, at first glance, I don't see why this norm needs to be stormed. I mean, it seems not just true, but also the best way to go about pursuing innovation. Uh, I mean, th- that's my first thought at least. So I guess that's why we figured we'd drop in someone who can show us a completely different perspective. Uh, so in exploring how to storm this norm, we roped in Santosh Desai, a well-known name, a cultural expert, social commentator, brand and business builder, and in general, a thought-provoking person. Santosh also wears the hat of CEO of Future Brands, for those who don't know that, in his day job. The conversation with him was, as expected, extremely thought-provoking, while being elementary at one level. In today's episode, we'll talk about what other canvas there is for innovation, other than the edge, that is, and what conditions are needed to even recognize and prepare that canvas, and what prevents us from looking beyond the norm. But we'll continue our conversation with Santosh in the next episode as well, in how we can actually apply this canvas to business realities, and how we can balance it with desired business outcomes. But that's a lot to cover. Before that, Anisha, as usual, I'm going to come back to our fundamental question. Why is this a norm and why does it need to be stormed? The first thought that comes to my mind is people have started using the word innovation so loosely. It's become almost like an adjective for cool. I am doing innovation. And ask most people, what is innovation? You will hear such obvious answers, Airbnb is innovation, Uber is innovation. But beyond that, there is very little that people know about what it takes to truly innovate. People with good ideas and who do real good work, they begin with saying, I want to solve a problem. They let their ideas be defined by the importance of the problems their ideas have to solve. So the first thing that we have to look at is, is there a problem? What is it that you're trying to solve? Mm. And ideas only come to those who recognize a problem and look for the innovative solution. Mm. And in fact, that book, uh, How to Think Like Einstein, even Einstein couldn't have found a solution if he had the wrong problem at hand, isn't it? That's true. That's very true. You must have an enabling problem to evoke the best innovation. So I get it. I get it that you're saying it's about finding the right problem because the wrong problem can send you off on a complete wild goose chase. My question then is, how do we identify the right problems? Let me share an example of a very simple innovation with universal appeal to make the point. The ubiquitous pen drive. We don't even call this or consider this an innovation today. And yes, created by an Indian. Very few people know that. Ajay V. Bhatt, the Indian-American computer architect, made the USB. Mm -hmm. A little removable storage device that is capable of holding large chunks of data for storage. And it's portable. Mm -hmm. Portable across devices, portable Mm -hmm. across, you know, channels, segments, cities, geographies. You don't have to lug your machine everywhere. You don't have to lug your machine everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it's such a simple innovation. Mm -hmm. Where do you think he began? 
This brings me to this point about very little about creativity is logical. Hmm. And yet we try and put it in some kind of a framework or a concept or a model hmm. and think that innovation can be done through a simple structural process. Hmm. You start using that process and you'll be able to replicate innovation. Not happening. Just because somebody else did it doesn't mean we can do exactly the same thing because their starting point was probably different and their destination also is unlikely to be the same as ours. So there is no linear, logical, uh, straight line, single process to innovation. Absolutely. Creativity and uh, innovation are anything but linear, anything but logical. And grasping that is the critical first step. Sounds like also a good time to bring in our guest expert, Santosh Desai, and get his perspective on this. So, thank you, Santosh, for making the time for, to be our expert this week on uh, Storm the Norm. We are pretty excited. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, I know how busy a schedule you have. I think I've given you a little bit of context, but we uh, want to try and explore the myth or the norm that we want to try and explore this time around is that innovation comes from the cutting edge. I borrow from Malcolm Gladwell when he wrote Outliers. There's another guy called uh, Rohit Bhargav. I don't know if you've heard of him. He wrote a book called The Non-Obvious. But both of these kind of pushed the uh, perception around innovation truly always coming only from the cutting edge. And we've got a variety of words to, to, to kind of bloody that word also, right? Bleeding edge, leading edge, cutting edge. It's become a bit of a joke, uh, if you will. Uh, so one, is that the only place innovation comes from? No, I mean, I would argue that, you know, in fact, if you were to look at some of the most kind of significant shifts and changes that have taken place, they come, in fact, from looking at what was seen to be the obvious, what was seen to be commonplace, what was seen to be so natural and everyday that it did not even invite uh, comment nor did it invite scrutiny. So you, you take life uh, you know, for granted, you say that's how things always are, that's life you know, and, and so it gets embedded into life so, so well that you never think of, of asking as to is there another way. I mean at the most obvious uh, kind of a level, uh, you look at this whole thing about say ownership as an idea. You know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think that if you really want something, you'll own it, right? Yeah. I mean, or you can rent it or you can, you know. But the thing is that, to my mind, insight comes from challenging or just staring hard at, at concepts that seem frozen and that seem, you know, obvious. So, for instance, the idea of what we call ownership is actually the right and the ability to use something when you want it, in the way you want it, without having to. So, it, it's actually about, it's... The value of ownership does not lie in possession mm-hmm. or in legal, uh, the, the notion of possession, but in a certain particular form of utility. Mm-hmm. Now, if that particular form of utility can be reproduced, then the idea of ownership has no value. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. If I can actually get a car whenever I want, wherever I want to take it, wherever I want, I want to take it. Mm-hmm. If I can get any kind of car. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, my degrees of freedom increase. And, and, and the costs and, and burdens of ownership, which means I have to look after the car, when the time comes to sell it, I have to find a buyer and the rest of it, traffic and you know, you are stuck, etc. None of it, those apply. So, so at the most basic level, I think what happens is that very often, and language, you know, in particular is, is, is something that, that 
puts us into categories. I mean, there is a you know a philosopher and physicist called David Bohm who gives this example of saying that why is it that it took such a long time before Newton came along and and kind of discovered gravity? Yeah, I mean, it's a natural force all yeah. around us. Yeah, and and for instance, why didn't people ask you know you know why do the stars don't fall on your head? Unlike say only only the asterisk and the calls uh, you know had, <laughs> had that anxiety about about uh, the sky falling on their heads yeah but other way why, what holds up the stars he said you know i mean why doesn't anybody ask that why did nobody ask that question mm. and he said nobody asked that question because they were known you know they were called you know as celestial objects mm. so, so what you did is they belong to the mm. sky because they are celestial objects I, i see what you're saying what language yeah so what yeah. happens is that you precluded the possibility mm. of asking a question and discovering something which is all around us mm. because you created categories mm. which which in a sense come in in the way of your you know understanding or asking or or you know and, and looking at reality the way it is mm. and we i think all around us this happens you know when we say i'm an expert in category x versus category y you know this is premium this is uh, you know the labels that we use uh, uh you know taste versus health yeah the binaries yeah. that we use yeah. The, yeah. these are the kind of things that come in the way of of more fluid more inventive uh, responses uh, that can allow us to see possibilities uh, uh, which are staring us in the face in fact that word was something i was going to pick up on even staring is a very physical act rather than an intensive scrutiny of the obvious right. uh, so how does one go about it i mean what how do you treat the obvious not as the blind spot but as a potential canvas by by simply asking i think you know very stupid question if you ask what happens is that we get to the second and third order hmm. of analysis and uh, you know far too easily so you know if you are talking about say a financial product you are saying what is a mutual fund what is a thing to ask what is money Mm. is mm. a very difficult question to answer for mm. instance mm. but it opens your understanding of what is currency mm. what is currency what is the idea mm. of things mm. when you ask the question first and foremost mm. you know so the, what is mobility mm. what is ownership mm. right mm. that's when you allow and then the interesting thing is that in a group of people who otherwise don't you know who who are not you know cultural analysts or who are nothing there is no specialized analysis just asking that question will give you answers quite easily and you'll be surprised how easily mm. you get an answer to a uh, to somebody just posing a question like that mm. but the problem is we don't pose a question like that like if you don't pose the most the fundamental question and if you don't take time to ask the concept itself what what is it and and you define that you understand it you open it out that allows you many many new ways so where does one begin one begins by asking the most basic the most obvious the most stupid questions which which feel elementary mm. but but they are exceedingly difficult uh, to answer because they take us into fund they they disagree you go to the source when you go to the source what happens is that all things have been assembled and we are forever using preconfigured concepts you know which are already pre assembled and they are already bound up so you are always dealing with those what you do is you kind of dismantle them mm. and you go to the source and you think what am i really playing with here what and and can it be assembled in a new way can i look at it in a new way so i think beginning by asking the most stupid questions i think is is 
uh, the way to go. Uh, and okay. I think you will find that kind of childlike yeah. ability yeah. Yeah. to ask, you know, to puncture the question yeah. in a sense, you yeah. know, yeah. Uh, and to puncture an existing belief by the innocence of your question is actually, I think, a great starting point. Okay. Uh, obviously, you don't want to go so basic as Bill Clinton asking what is, is. <laughs> That's an extreme, I guess. I'm left wondering, and stupidity seems to come naturally to most of us, right? So why are we not able to ask the basic questions? We are all, you know, educated people. We are all, you know, over the years, everybody thinks of themselves as experts. And, you know, we are... And so therefore, what happens is that we... And we, we again, you know, we construct vocabularies which, mm. which speak in... We speak in acronyms. Mm. We, we are so fond of, you know, uh, complex com- uh, concepts. Yeah. I mean, as an aside, but I always am marvel at how we can use the word VUCA word so unself-consciously. <laughs> it seems like a bunch of four words which have suddenly got assembled into some, some, some like this lofty, I mean, it just, you know, why not describe the yeah. phenomenon instead of, yeah. and, and be open to the way that it, it you know, with time, uh, that very idea keeps changing, right? Yeah. So, but we, we don't do that, right? Our sense of being specialist, our sense of being intelligent comes from making things obscure and distancing it from the simplicity of understanding. I mean, we never see people to speak at home the way we speak and in office, right? We would feel absurd, yeah. but there is a, there yeah. is a particular vocabulary that we develop yeah. in, because, and, and that's the thing, you see, we construct yeah. this whole universe through an elaborate set of rituals and, and you know and language and, and all kinds of norms that we build for ourselves which makes us feel in a certain way and when we solve problems mm. we I mean the the aura and the the act of solving problems has so much you know uh, you know ceremony attached to it that just to break that and to think more simply why is it that you know the so many new ideas come from young people, who are say either dropouts or have have really you know are not necessarily using. It's not true in all cases, but there are so yeah. many examples where it comes from a very simple, clear view yeah. of what is possible yeah. and going ahead and doing it. Yeah. And why is it that so many professionals with years and years and years of experience are unable to see that? Yeah. Because the, the idea of being a professional is the building these layers and layers. Of distance yeah. between the reality of what you see and and the, the constructions that you create in your head. So we'll take a quick pause here and see how we can unpack what we've heard so far for this episode. There's a lot to absorb here, Nadain. He did turn the norm on its head, didn't he? By saying that the obvious, not the non-obvious, not the outlier, the edges, the extremities is the best canvas for the innovation. Absolutely. I mean, I, and I'm trying to reflect on some of the key things to summarize in this episode, the importance and limitations of, of language, how we are restricted and defined by the language that we use, the criticality of asking the basic stupid questions. We seem to be very good at being stupid, and yet we don't ask the stupid questions all the time. And then the third point about assuming a childlike perspective to every concept. And these are the things I caught there. Uh, what can we leave our listeners with, Anisha? We have to stop using the word innovation as an empty verbiage or the mere slogan. 
like I said, it's just been used so loosely in business today. Mm. The overuse and generalization of the term innovation has led to a loss of understanding of what it is that we really need when we actually think about innovation. Mm. We lose sight of the specific skills and the behaviors needed to be innovative. Mm. And I think Santosh spoke about that, the mm. specific behavior, the specific skill of staring at the obvious, you know, looking at it with perspectives that can only emerge if you have an enabling problem to solve. That rings so true. I was reminded of this example. It's a 60-year-old example of Colgate uh, being mm -hmm. presented by mm -hmm. this gentleman uh, with this interesting proposition. He said, I'll give you an idea that will increase your business by 40% with zero implementation cost. And Colgate found it too good to be true and they didn't take him upon it initially. And then when they couldn't crack it with all their frameworks and all their methods, they called him back. And all he said was, make the hole bigger. Wow. If that's <laughs> not staring at the obvious, what is? <laughs> exactly, right? One mm makes a 40% difference to their entire business. Imagine that. But it goes back to what you're saying, right? Because we are taken in by making innovation cool. You know, another, another very simple example that's coming to my mind now that you spoke about market share and revenue, the movie experience. The minute you actually go inside a movie hall today, it's as much about watching the movie as it is about the entire experience. Mm. A simple thing like a cup holder mm. on the sides of the chair, mm. okay, mm. has taken up the revenue of movie business mm. almost multifold mm. because you're able to keep your popcorn and you're able to keep your Pepsi on the other side. And that is what is generated revenue. Mm. How do you actually, you know, it's it's staring yeah. at you. If I if I actually were to say, how do I create innovation in a movie business? The last thing that would come to my mind is, how do I actually look at my chair, okay, and and try a cup holder? That that's not the solution that would come to you. You know, maybe the airline guys should copy this and put a cup holder in there, so the fight for the armrest also goes away. <laughs> <laughs> but that's such a brilliant example. Who would have thought the movie business would grow because you made an adjustment to the armrest? Oh, exactly. That's, that's, exactly. Uh, that's outstanding. It, it just keeps reinforcing the point you made, Anisha, that we tend to have become, uh, as Malcolm Gladwell called it a long time back, we become cool hunters rather than going back to just being problem solvers. So maybe that's what we need to go back, yeah, go back to yeah, the drawing yeah. board. Right? So innovation is not always world changing, but neither is it frivolous. By saying all that we've said, we are not saying it's simple. We are not saying it's frivolous. No. In my experience, I have observed three key factors that play a significant role in driving innovation. Hmm. What are those? I call them the three A's. You have this penchant for making it easy for people <laughs> to remember, right? Okay, go for it. <laughs> Ambiguity. Okay. Remember the very first episode we said, you know, there has to be dilemma. Okay. Mm -hmm. There has to be some dilemma that's bothering you. It's giving you sleepless night. Mm -hmm. The more the dilemma, the stronger the paradox, mm -hmm. the more the ambiguity, mm -hmm. the more fertile it becomes mm -hmm. as a source of innovation. Uh, the second is, it's not just pain, it's agony. In the marketing world, it's very easy to say, what's the pain point? Mm. For me, yeah, pain, bearable pain, no agony, you know. Is it so painful for you? It's agonizingly painful for you to be able to do something about it. Mm. Okay. Mm. It bothers you enough. It pinches you enough mm. for you to move one step forward and try and find a solution for mm. it. Mm. 
So for me, that's the second one. There's hmm. ambiguity, there's agony. Okay. And the last one is apathy. There are lots of unattended, discarded ideas. Okay. That we think are somebody else's discards and we don't touch them. Having a kind of empathy hmm. for discarded ideas hmm. is a very fertile source of innovation. And we'll talk some of it. I think Santosh has also spoken about it. Yes. yes. We'll talk some of these things in our second episode as well. But ambiguity, agony, apathy are the three A's that Hmm. become a very fertile source and a trigger for powerful idea generation. You know, I was so tempted to go from ambiguity to what, from agony to what, from apathy to what. But I remembered just in time that we are focusing on defining the problem over here because that is the starting point for using the canvas of the obvious to trigger innovation, right? It sounds like a good place for us to sum up this episode. So between what you've drawn out, Anisha, and what Santosh has unpacked, that's a lot to pack in. And we've covered a lot of ground here, but we've covered ground about the source of innovation. How to turn that source into a canvas, how to leverage it, and how to align it with desirable business outcomes. That's what we'll cover in part two of this episode. For now, this is Narayan and Anisha signing off from episode four of Storm the Norm. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud by just searching for Storm the Norm. Thank you and talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you.